Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Adam Nagurney covers national politics for the New York Times. He's the author of a brand new book. It's terrific. I've read it, thoroughly enjoyed it. It is called The Times, How the Newspaper of Record Survives Scandal, Scorn, and the Transformation of Journalism. And he joins me now. Adam, thank you so much for being here. Congratulations. Hey, thanks so much, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So at the end of the book, you report that by 2020, the New York Times had 6.5 million digital subscribers versus 374,000 print subscribers, the 374 down from a high in 1993 of 1.2 million. So the digital product has really thrived. Would that have been the case but for Donald Trump being elected in 2016? Would you have gotten, would the newspaper have gotten where it ended up as quickly as it did? You know, um, that's a great question. And I think we'll need a little bit of time to know for sure. But my guess and and everything I've seen so far, the answer is yes. 
the paper would have done well. Um, where the book ends in 2016, you're seeing these editors sitting around a table and seeing these amazing numbers of traffic coming in because of Donald Trump. And one of the big questions slash concerns was, was this going to be a Trump bump? Uh, that at some point, Trump will go away. We'll see when. And with it will be the circulation. Here's what happened. I think the, the, the newspaper, the organization, made a really broad effort to A, improve its news uh, presentation in every department, right? But second of all, to do things like the Wordle, NYT Cooking, Wire Cutter, things that the athletic, things that brought in more readers. So as a result, what we're seeing now is that the latest digital circulation figures for the Times is I think nine or 10 million. It's still going up. You know, I don't want to be ridiculous and tell you, you know, we might be having this conversation in 10 years and the numbers have plummeted again. But right now it seems to have used the Trump numbers as a platform to keep building the paper and its circulation over the years. It's a fun part of the book because you walk us through, I I think, you know, the the genesis of it, it begins with an internal memo. What is the Internet? And then Uh you trace the whole growth, uh, including at one point, I didn't know this, there was an IPO that was contemplated just to be able to fund what was going to be necessary so that the Times could go in this direction. Adam, I am I am old school and, and you and I are also recording this by YouTube. So hopefully you can see I'm, I'm holding today's print edition in my hand. I read countless newspapers each and every day. I like to say that I read for a living more than I speak for a living. There's only one newspaper that I want to touch. And I feel like my day is deficient if I if I don't actually have a copy of this in my hands and I have a routine every morning and I get it at the same place. It's kind of funny because you tell a story in the book about I think it was Barbara Bush complaining about the ink coming off on her fingers and sometimes getting on her clothes. And I remember always having that experience, but like the ink must have changed along the way because that's no longer an issue today. Yeah. Um, I think, <laughs> I think I didn't get into that part of it, but I do believe they figured out a way to make the ink, ink less um, smearing. Um, but you know, you're not alone, Michael. There are a lot of people who need and want to read the New York times on paper every day. And I know for myself, my routine is the first thing I want to do is look at the print newspaper in the morning. Part of that is because it's important for me to organize my day around what I think or what the editors think are the seven most or six most important stories of the day. The front page serves a purpose for me. Now, that said, in my opinion, in 10 years, 15 years, maybe 20, but probably closer to 10, there won't be much of a print edition left. I mean, I think it's right now, it's still making money. It's catering to a, dare I say, a slightly older audience, not including you, of course. And it's going down. The numbers are going up in digital. So I think that's where the future is. Well, I hope but that I pendulum swings. I hope that pendulum, pendulum swings, swings because because my, my day wouldn't be the... By the way, I'm not buying into everything I read in it, uh, certainly not the editorial page and the, the columnist, but it's, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. an integral part, I think, to to be an informed person, even if you're in disagreement with the times. Let me ask you this. I would think this a very intimidating task because everyone with the newspaper, everyone associated with the newspaper, you had to know is going to read your work with a very critical eye. And many of them are writers. Like why take, I'm glad you did, but why take on that challenge? And didn't you find it intimidating? Yes. (laughs) I think one reason why it took me so long to, kind of pulled the trigger on doing this is what you said. I knew I'd be writing for a very specialized, opinionated, smart audience of people who could read this and fly spec it 
really um, intensely. And I think in a way, it has made a lot of the reactions so far very gratifying from people who know parts of the story, who said they learned a lot about it and talked with praise about the way the story was researched and the way it was presented. In, in one example of what you're saying, I, I talked to um, five or I talked to six of the surviving executive editors, and that was a little intimidating because they're, they're all retired now. But they, you know, they are the best of the best. And I would sit there and be really a little bit nervous, frankly, about what I was saying. But also it was valuable because the points would come during these interviews where they would say, well, maybe you could frame the story like this or think about it like this. So it was like working with a great editor on a story. And I walk away and write down the idea and steal it when I wrote the next chapter. So Adam Nagorny's book is called The Times, and I, I should explain that it covers a time period of 1976 when A.M. Rosenthal is named executive editor through the election of Donald Trump in 2016. Behind the scenes, a lot of personalities, a lot of drama, a lot of characters, and I say that as a term of, of endearment. By the way, as I look at today's Times and I, and I, I look at the, uh, the portion of the paper that describes the leadership, it's amazing that this remains a family-owned newspaper. A.G. Sulzberger is the publisher, and then you give all of the predecessors of A.G. Sulzberger. Adolf, is it pronounced Ox or Oaks? Ox, yeah, Ox, yeah. Okay, Adolf Ox, Arthur Hayes, Sulzberger. I don't know how Orville Dreyfus got in the midst of Dreyfus, yeah. Got in the middle of this. Arthur Ox Sulzberger, (laughs) Arthur Ox Sulzberger Jr. You cover two publishers and, I don't know, six or seven executive editors. And the book opens with Arthur Sulzberger Jr. walking to his retirement party, I think at MoMA, in 2018. It's his father that was known as Punch, right? Right. That's Talk to correct. me about the differences between between those three generations, meaning also Arthur Greg Salzberger, the sixth in line. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question. I think Arthur Jr. in many ways was different from his father and tried to turn the times away. He was obviously younger. He was more forward looking digitally. Right. He was from a different generation. He had different um sort of sensibilities about gay employees, about women employees, about people of color. You know, a lot of it was generational, but he was much different. And I would argue that in many ways, the paper is where it is today a success because of Arthur Jr. Um, On the other hand, his father, who I only met once, um, was very different as a personality. His father was outgoing and warm and and people liked him. And um, Arthur Jr. was a little bit more shy and uncomfortable in his own skin and not as much of a warm, engaging character as his father. Um, his son, A.G., again, I, I've only met his, his, his grandfather once, reminds me more of his grandfather. I think he's more engaging, a little more comfortable in his own skin. I think like his father, he is very forward looking and like all three of them, understands the legacy the, the I would argue the mission they have as being the last family owned major family owned newspaper in, in the country. And per your original question here, I think one of the reasons the Times has been, I would argue, a financial and and journalistic success is because it's a family enterprise and the family was invested in its success, not as a business, but not only as a business, excuse me, but also as one of the best and not the best country, newspapers help, in the country. Help me with the pronunciation. I'm, I'm going to spell a woman's first name. I-P-H-I-G-E-N-E. 
Iphigene was, yeah, she's the matron of the Soulsberger family. Um, she, I think, and I suggest in the book, I think that in another generation, she might have been the publisher, right? Um, clearly, this was a this was a time when women, with the obvious exception of the Washington Post, were not made publishers at the New York Times. She was a brilliant, strong-willed, very influential woman at the paper. I like Alan Siegel's job. And I'm, I'm going to just quote from a part of the book where, where you talk about his role. You say, but in a newsroom that began many mornings with a barrage of withering memoranda. It was the other notes from Siegel that were remembered, scorching, unequivocal, sarcastic, vaguely menacing. Quote, we do not use this expression, he wrote, circling in green the phrase pro-abortion in a headline. Quote, I would like a memo on how it got in. Name names, please. Who am I talking about? And what is a what is a greenie? What is a memo known as a greenie? So a greenie was one of the memos that he would put out every morning written with green felt tipped ink. He would circle something and often they would just be praiseworthy, like nice. Who did this? Right. Like a good turn of phrase, a good headline. But as he said, it would also be how the heck did this get to the New York Times? He was the enforcer of standards. He was devoted in every way to the Times. People were afraid of him. Years later, when I spoke to him, he said he was always a little afraid that he had been a bully, right? And you know something, Michael? In fact, in many ways, he was. But I would argue to the to the in the mission of the greater good of the paper. And he was a really singular figure there. I mean, you know, he was this large man who had brilliant in so many things: opera, history, the New York Times, New York City history. And he was just a larger-than-life figure in journalism, the kind of figure that, frankly, you don't see that much anymore, I'm afraid to say. This is Book Club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Albert's, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Smirconish program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM, Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. Adam, I, I need to point out to folks who've not yet read The Times, which is your new book about the New York Times, that uh, you go into in great detail a lot of the scandal that has surrounded the New York Times. For example, I think it was 1991. I remember the incident well, the naming of the victim in the William Kennedy Smith case. You talk about oh, what yeah. happened in the in the outing of the supposed Chinese-American spy at Los Alamos who wasn't. And of course, before there was George Santos... There was Jason Blair. Talk to me about Jason Blair. Uh, and in particular, if you don't mind, the town hall that followed that whole story coming to light. You know, I think um, a, a critical part of telling a story like this is to describe the paper's failures, right? Like there were lots of successes. It's done some great things in American journalism, but there were failures. And Jason Blair was one of them. Jason Blair was a serial fabulist. He made stuff up. And he got away with it a lot. And it was a really tense kind of situation, in part because he was a young black man who was a reporter at the paper. So it had racial overtones for, you know, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. Now, his case, um, when his when his fabrications were discovered, the paper wrote, I think it was a 10,000 word front page story. Don't hold me to it, but it was crazy long story detailing what he did wrong and why it happened. Why this newspaper that's so heavily edited, that has so many sort of dates to stop stuff from happening, allowed this to allow these fabricated stories to get in to the discredit of the paper and the discredit of everyone who lived who worked there. And finally the editor of the time, Howell Raines, and the publisher, Arthur Salzberger Jr. and the managing editor, a man named Gerald Boyd, held a town hall at a theater, I think it was a Lowe's across from the Times building in Times Square. And everyone came in and for, I don't know, an hour, two hours, they just excoriated the editors for letting this happen. And that was the event that led, you know, maybe three weeks later, I think, um, to the publisher dismissing both his executive editor and his managing editor. It was an historic event, incredibly tumultuous for the paper and one of his low points. 
another seminal event in the modern history of the New York Times, the events of September 11, of course. I appreciated you taking us behind the scenes and discussing, for example, what would be that headline in the end, U.S. attacked. And then here here is the uh, the lead. Uh, Schmeneman, I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, spent most of the afternoon of September 11. Okay, writing and rewriting the first four paragraphs of the main story that would appear at the top of the page. Those were the paragraphs that people would remember. Quote, hijackers rammed jetliners into each of New York's World Trade Center towers yesterday, toppling both in a hellish storm of ash, glass, smoke, and leaping victims while a third jetliner crashed into the Pentagon in Virginia. There was no official count, but President Bush said thousands had perished, and in the immediate aftermath of the calamity, it was already being ranked as the worst and most audacious terror attack in American history. Everyone caught unaware. People had to rush to work. Some people were trapped at home and not able to get there, but everybody at the Times knew that what they generated on September 12 was going to be one for the record books. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was an example of the newspaper coming to life and covering what everyone realized was a huge, important story. And that goes to the mission of the paper. It's moments like this when it's not about individual egos or individual bylines. It's about getting out the best report possible. And I'm not being Pollyannish here. It's certainly not always like that. It's probably not always like that on most days. But on that day, it certainly was that, that. And people who watch the newspaper come to life, people who watch reporters and editors, go towards the explosions when everyone else were was scattering away from them, as you probably remember being in New York City. It said a lot about what the New York Times was. And the papers, I think the paper's coverage of that crisis, uh, that tragedy, was remarkable. Um, it was also the, the editor we were just talking about a minute ago, Howell Raines. He had been in the job for a week. So, you know, he walks in and he just like walks into this huge story. And I think in many ways, not in many ways, it overall defined his first year as executive editor of the paper and how he tried to ch- turn the paper around. I want to ask you a, a chicken or egg question. By the way, we're not giving it all away for free. We want people to buy and read The Times, <laughs> how the newspaper of records survived scandal, scorn and the transformation of journalism by Adam DeGorney. I'll set it up this way from from the epilogue because of the tools that the times embraced to analyze readership its editors now knew which stories their audiences most wanted to read and which headlines drew the most attention this became a factor if one of many in determining which stories should be written and which should be promoted on mobile devices and the website the newspaper's readership was more liberal than the nation at large, as captured in an internal poll of the Times readers conducted for the newspaper and shared with editors and business executives in 2019, 84% of paid subscribers describe themselves as liberal. Does the newspaper cater to the leanings of its audience or vice versa? Um, I, I think that's a really good question, and I think that's one of the things that's being worked out right now. I think the paper is devoted to trying to do what the New York Times does, right, which is cover the world really well. It's aware of its readers. It's aware of the political leanings of its readers. But I think the best thing it can do is just to try to present the news down the middle. That's not true of the editorial page. But if you look at the editorial page, there's diversity of opinion there. Um, I think you go to a larger issue, issue that the paper is trying to navigate now, which is like, 
it's it's all it's it's mainly supported by reader subscriptions, not by advertising any advertising anymore by readers. So you need to be aware of what readers want to read, and you have to be sensitive at least when people get upset about it. And we have these internal counters that tell you how many people are reading each story, how long they're staying with the story, how much they're engaged with it. So excuse me, engaged with it. So I think there is a temptation, as I write there, to write stories, market stories promote stories based on what we know, what the paper knows readers want to read. Um, I still think, and I think they're largely successful at this, that the main mission of the paper is to try to present a picture of the world every day as down the middle, and I don't want to say the word objectively, but as even-handedly as possible. That's the tension. I do believe the paper is working it out. I do think that if I were to ever do another book like this, which I won't, um, that's one of the things that's being worked out right now that will be resolved in the next couple of years. Final question, and we only have 60 seconds left. I mean, the Times has been successful in entering and thriving in the digital age. I don't know that other newspapers can look at this blueprint and imitate it. I don't know that that space is big enough for anyone other than maybe the Times and maybe the Journal and maybe the L.A. Times. But I think it's a limited universe. Your thoughts? Um, listen, I agree with you, okay? I wonder, looking what's going on now, whether there is a world where people are going to subscribe digitally to four or five newspapers. It's not cheap, right? And I look at a fantastic paper like the Washington Post, which is obviously struggling with revenues right now as they try to figure out a way to capture this market. I just wonder, you know, if you're living in New York City, you're not going to like subscribe to the print edition of the New York, and some people will, but the print edition of the New York Times, the print edition of the Washington Post, the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal. And I think that's true with digital. And I think one thing the Times did that was smart, and I think it was very conscious, was to get out there fast, realizing that this market would not be out there forever. And I think the larger the market, the larger subscription gets, the larger its subscription base gets, the harder it is for anyone else to break in. Congratulations. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I hope that's evident from my questions. And I wish good things for Adam Nagorny. It is. Thank you. Okay. Adam Nagorny, ladies and gentlemen. That was great. Thank you. The Times, how the newspaper of rec. My audience, they they know. They think I quote the Times ad nauseum, right? TC, they've they've heard too much of from of me saying I read in the Times. In the very best I way. The, I try to limit. <laughs> I have like a quota on myself on how many references I make to the New York Times in the course of a day. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America. 